I'm so excited about this message because uh, Paul is showing us so many different things here all in one prayer. And what depth of prayer does he show us? I'd like to learn to, to, to pray like that with, with depth and not just uh, asking God to heal somebody, but go deeper than that, to heal somebody not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally, and that would God in this difficult time would minister to them, and so on and so forth. I want to go deeper. Um, even as I pray for about 20 people every day, and then some more at, at other times when there's more requests coming in. These 20 people is the everyday stuff uh, that, that I'm praying for. So, um, now, the, the title of the, the sermon today is Paul's Prayer for the Church in Ephesus. Paul's Prayer for the Church in Ephesus. So last week we spoke out of the epistle to the Ephesians, and we looked at chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, the first chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians. And what a glorious passage, passage that was that is leading up to this prayer that I'm talking about. And in the way of review, it's always good to review a little bit because as I review a little bit, I trigger some of your memory that you heard last week that otherwise might not be active in your mind uh, till, till I trigger it with a little uh, remembrance. So we talked last week about the Holy Spirit being the seal uh, of our salvation and the Holy Spirit being also the uh, earnest of our inheritance. So let's talk about a seal real quick. Remember that the seal has to do with a, um, a, a finished uh, transaction, a finished transaction. It, it, once the, the signature over there or the seal is there, uh, it signifies a finished transaction. Uh, another thing that it signifies is that it is, uh, it's about ownership, ownership. I have my stamp on it, and that means I own it. Uh, I want to indicate that I own it. As God has his stamp by the Holy Spirit on us, hey, I own them. Anybody in the universe that wants to uh, 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 dispute that, he owns me. Okay? Don't mess with me. I belong to him. Uh, then thirdly, uh, the idea of security, that uh, he has a seal and it secures my salvation. And then uh, 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 the, the last one is authenticity, that as that seal is over there, then we know that this is authentic. This is not a false thing. It is authentic. So um, as we compare it with our Christian life, then the seal says, I am indeed, authentically, I have the salvation of the Lord and, and belong to him uh, and to him alone. And then the earnest of our inheritance had to do with the idea that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. And we looked at it and, and decided what a down payment that is. So if we have that kind of down payment, what kind of inheritance are we looking at? It boggles my mind. And I think it would boggle your mind as well if you think about it very long. And so then the book, the epistle to the Ephesians was written in, in Rome while Paul was in prison as well as 
uh, the book of Philemon, which is a one-chapter book, one-chapter epistle. And then the book of, to the Colossians was also written from the Roman prison. And so it stands to reason that there would be some similar things, as we saw last week in um, uh, Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, when Paul talks about uh, that he had heard all the way in the prison in Rome about the testimony of the Ephesians, how they, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for all the saints, and that Paul mentioned that he uh, uh, prayed for them often and much and consistently, and he was thankful for them. So uh, let me give you that little list over there. And this is true in Philemon verses 4 and 5, Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, and then Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. They are not totally identical, but pretty much, pretty much identical, almost word for word, with basically the exact same meaning. That he speaks there um, not only of the things that we should heed and therefore include in our lives, but these are the things that, that, he, that he mentioned. The testimony that he heard all the way in Rome, and what a testimony that is. I would like to have a testimony like that, that people hear about uh, my godly life. I mean, I'm not saying I have a godly life. I'm saying that I would have a godly life so that when people hear about my testimony, that's what they would hear. And uh, so I have a long ways to go like everybody else, uh, but I'm on my way, and I love Jesus. Uh, that uh, he talks about of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is always central to all Christian living and testimony, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ who is central to everything that happens in our lives, in our walk, in our talk, in every way. Um, and then thirdly, he talks about their love for all the saints. Um, and, you know, maybe the word saints needs a little uh, explanation. In some places, it is only some spectacularly holy people know in, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, the word saints is attributed to all believers. All believers are called saints, set apart from the world to God. And then Paul gives thanks for them, and he mentions them uh, constantly in his prayers. So this is the type of uh, testimony that I want, uh, not only that I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I love all the saints, um, uh, uh, that people will hear about it, and that uh, uh, I can give thanks for, for people like that, and that I mention them in prayer often, very often. So, but today then, see, as he's talking about that he's mentioned them constantly in his prayers, then he is going to talk to us now today about one of those prayers. He prays for them often. So now he writes a letter to them and explains to them what he is praying for them for, that God would do in their lives. So here we go. So this is a prayer of Paul to the church in Ephesus. What, like I said earlier, what depth of prayer, and you will agree with me after we talk about this. So let me read, if, if I may, 
Let me just go ahead and read through the verses and then come back and, and we look at them and dissect them a little bit. Uh, Ephesians 1.17 goes like this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse, tw verse 21 uh, goes like, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. 22 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the church. Over all things in the church. So, let's go back at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So, let's talk first about the Father of glory. Um, really a better translation would be uh, from the Greek, because in the Greek it says the father of the glory. In other words, it is the father to whom the glory belongs. All the glory belongs to the father. And he doesn't want to share it with anyone, with anyone except the son and the Holy Spirit. So, and anyone who steals his glory, does so at their own peril. Don't steal God's glory. Uh, he, he, he doesn't like it. He doesn't appreciate it. Because he is the father of the glory. So let me just give you an, an example of what I mean, that if you try to steal his glory, it is at your own peril. I will read now out of Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 23. I read verse, Acts 12, verses 20 through 23. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made blessings the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. 21. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration to them. 22. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. 23 says, And immediately an angel of the Lord smote him, because, here is the reason, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and died. My dear brothers and, friends, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, I don't want to have worms. I don't want to be eaten up by worms. I don't want to steal any of God's glory. All the glory belongs to him. If you even go to the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Thine is the glory. It all belongs to God. Then we go to the, the next phrase, that 
the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation uh, in the knowledge of him. What, what Paul is asking over here is that the Father would give the Ephesians, and by extension, us, the spirit of wisdom. Um, that needs, as, as always, it needs a little bit clarification because what he's saying over here, he's not asking for God to give them the spirit who will give them wisdom. No, he's asking that God will give them the spirit who himself is wisdom. In other words, he is not just a giver of wisdom. He himself is wisdom. What a difference that is. And obviously he speaks here about godly wisdom. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the kind of wisdom that I pray for. Not so I can brag, not so that I can impress people, but that I can truly give people the wisdom to walk by that is godly and God-pleasing and that gives them, therefore, victory or the chance for victory. You see what I'm saying? So it is important. The same thing is true also with the spirit of revelation, that it is not uh, the spirit that gives revelation, but that it's the spirit who himself is revelation. Um, so both the Holy Spirit then is the one who reveals the truth of God or the deeper truth of God. And um, here in the word the spirit, uh, the, the, the scholars think it might be our spirit. Others think it might be the Holy Spirit. And others think, well, our spirit is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So I am going with that interpretation, that our spirit is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit then indwells us and gives us, or who is himself, the, the, the wisdom of God. And so, uh, so let, us, let, us look, uh, let us look at 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. I'll read it. And it is really, part of it is an, a, a quote from uh, the book of Isaiah, six, Isaiah 64, verse 4, a quote from there. Um, and here it is. But as it is written, I had not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So here we have the, the, the uh, Isaiah is saying, as Paul is quoting it in 1 Corinthians, that our eyes have not seen it. Our ears have not heard it. So in the natural, we, we, we will never see it. In the natural, we'll never hear it. The, nor has it entered in our heart the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So, but he says, it is not hidden from us. It is hidden uh, uh, only if we are not looking for it. But if, as believers, and we go and visit with the Holy Spirit, who himself is wisdom and is revelation, then he will reveal these things to us, as it says, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So if you want to go deeper, 
if you want to have more, as Paul is preaching for the Ephesians, to bring him deeper into wisdom, to bring him deeper in revelation, then you need to visit with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, sometimes what happens is, we think we have a revelation from God, but it was really our own, quote-unquote, clever or good idea. Um, so, uh, let's be careful. And let's not, oh, I want to say, blaspheme in some ways when we are so quick to say that we have a revelation from God when it was our own thing. And God is not pleased because he didn't reveal it to us. Um, so, uh, well, then we continue in, in Paul's prayer here. He says that God would give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And how we have talked in recent times, but certainly in the last few years, we've talked a lot about the power of, the power of God, uh, which we are going to talk about in just a little bit, but we have also talked a lot about knowing God and that we would God, know God deeper. So this is that God would give them wisdom and uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him better. The word here is the word. There's two words for knowing. Well, there might be more words, but from this same root here, gnosis or epigenosis. Epigenosis has the connotation that it has an accurate, deep, and complete uh, 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 no, knowledge. An accurate, deep, complete knowledge. So it is not so much that we know about God, although we, we do, but it goes deeper than that. It is that we know God. For the last while, I have prayed a lot how evil in the middle of the night, I, I pray to God, God, that I may know you better. That I may know you better. Remember when we looked at Second Peter, the first chapter, uh, verses 3 through, oh, maybe 8 or 9 or 10 there, that it's so many times, five or six times, the word knowledge was mentioned. And uh, out of those, sometimes it was gnosis, but most of the time it was epigenosis. We talked about knowing God, knowing God. And we talked about uh, Philippians 3.10 when it says that I may know him and the power of the resur resurrection and so on and so forth. That I may know him. It is my deepest desire to know God better. To know God better in a deeper way. Then he goes on to say, still praying, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Let's, let's dissect it just a little bit, and let's look at a phrase as Paul is going on with his prayer the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Uh, in the Greek, really, the word uh, understanding is really the word heart. That the, the eyes of your heart 
being enlightened. Uh, because he wants to not only give us the intellectual idea, but he also wants us to give us, to give us the emotional idea. So the heart that speaks about emotion as well as intellectual capacity. So that it might be enlightened. In the Greek tense, I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not trying to uh, uh, impress you, but I read the commentary so that I can bring a little bit bigger picture to you. Uh, the, the tense over here is uh, in the perfect participle. That is to say that it is an, uh, an action that was completed in the past and still has results in the present and still is working in the present. An action that was completed in the past and is still working in the present time. So that he is saying that he is praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in such a way that it is still enlightened as we, as we speak today. That it is still enlightened and it will be in, in a state of enlightenment for the duration. Are you with me? So uh, you might say that, so Paul is praying for the Ephesians to be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, such that the eyes of the hearts may be enlightened with the permanent result that they are in a permanent state of illumination. Yes? You get the idea. That is a permanent, so that the eyes of his heart will be enlightened, so that they are in a permanent state of illumination. Oh, you know, I take that prayer, Paul. I, I, I love for uh, you to pray this for me, that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened and they would remain in an, a, a state of illumination for the, for the duration. And um, so then this illumination that Paul is speaking of over here, he prays for in three areas. And we're going to dissect that now just a little bit. In three areas. One, the hope of his calling. Two, the, in, his inheritance in the saints. It's important that I, I put the uh, possessive pronoun there. His inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, his power made available to us. His power made available to us. One, the hope of his calling. Two, his inheritance in the saints. Three, the power made available to us. We've talked about that power thing in the past, and actually the last four or five or six years, we've talked a lot about this kind of power that he made available to us from a different text, but nevertheless we have. So, the expression, what is the hope of his calling, um, has to do here not so much with what kind of hope it is, or what size of hope it is, but it has to do with the hope itself, which is in Christ Jesus. The hope itself, that we may know the hope of his calling. Wow. That is so powerful. So it is not about, okay, we... It, 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 it is the same thing as knowing God or knowing about God. That we know about God, uh, we know from the scriptures, and he sacrificed Jesus Christ for us, and blah, 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 and on and on and on and on, and all the stuff, because there's a whole, a whole book about it that, 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 that we can read and learn from. 
and, and knowing about him is not the same as knowing him. So if we know about the hope, we know about the hope, but we, know though we don't know the hope, it's a big difference. And Paul is saying over here, I'm praying that you will know the hope of his calling, that we might go deeper in that, the hope that we have in Christ. Christ, the hope of glory. The second point was the inheritance in the saints. And this needs a little bit of explanation as well. Um, in some places it talks, like we talked in the, uh, earlier in the first chapter, it talks about um, that our inheritance. We talked about that the Holy Spirit is the uh, earnest of our inheritance. But here it doesn't talk about our inheritance. Here it talks about God's inheritance. <laughs> and you might think that when God speaks about his inheritance, or Paul prays that we may know the riches of the glory of his, of his inheritance, uh, that we may know what they are, then we would think that if this speaks about God's inheritance, that it would be some sort of uh, heavenly thing or whatever. But no, what it's saying over here is that the saints are his glorious inheritance. The saints are. Paul is asking, is pray, asking the Lord to show us through the spirit of wisdom and, 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 and revelation that we would uh, know what are the riches of the glory, how God sees us in the richness and the wealth that he sees us as his inheritance. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, that, that, that really encourages me big time. That gives me a whole different perspective as to how God looks to me. As to how God looks to me. So, um, uh, let, me, let me just give you a, a, a quote from Kenneth Wiest, who is a, a great a Greek scholar. And as he is explaining to us uh, that the words in the saints, when it says over here, um, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the word in the saints there is locative. That is to say, we're looking for a location. That the, the, the inheritance is inside the saints. It is the, the saints themselves that are his inheritance. And so, uh, let me give you that, that, that uh, quote that I was telling you about. Uh, Paul prays, as, as we know, that we might know how precious the saints are in God's eyes as his inheritance. End of quote. I go, I, I go again. Kenneth Wiest, famous Greek scholar, writes this. Quote, Paul prays that we might know how precious the saints are in God's eyes as his inheritance. I don't know if you have thought about this before. I, I've, I've studied this before, so, uh, uh, but bef up to that point, I had never thought about that we are his inheritance. I knew that we had an inheritance, but we, I didn't know that I was his inheritance and how highly he thinks and how precious is maybe a better word he thinks of me 
as his inheritance and you of his inheritance. The third thing Paul wants us to know is how exceedingly great the power is that God makes available to us who believe. This, according to the operating energy of the manifested strength of his might, this God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, so the power of the resurrection, and seated him at God's right hand in heaven. So here it is, the incredible power that God has made available once again to us as believers. Okay? That's what it talks about over here. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. So this power then is uh, according to the operating energy of the manifested strength of his might. These are the different words that you read over here of strength and power and so on. This is what it means. That the exceeding the exceedingly greatness of the power that God has made available to us who believe, according to the operating energy of the manifested strength of his might. This, God worked in Christ, this incredible uh, manifestation of his strength, of his might. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. My dear brothers and sisters, when we talked about the power of the resurrection, we talked about the idea that this is the greatest power in all of the, the universe. Even if you put all the powers, combine them together. The power of the resurrection is greater than that. And the Father has made this exceedingly great power toward us who believe. Oh, if that's available to us, why are we struggling so much? Is it because we have never been taught this? Is it because we haven't understood the scriptures? Is it because we don't believe it? Why do we as Christians struggle so much? Yes, we have a lot to, to, to fight against. We fight against the world. We fight against uh, uh, the, the demonic forces. And we fight against our own flesh. <laughs> but my dear brothers and sisters, that's no match for God. That's no match for God. So at no time do we need to struggle in the way of defeat and these type of things. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a, a situation, somebody has coronavirus and you lose a loved one or, or whatever the situation might be. No, there, there is, there's a, a time for mourning. And I, I recommend that people mourn as long as it takes. Yes, right? But that, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the defeat kind of thing. The, the defeat that uh, you cannot be successful in your marriage. The defeat that you cannot be successful in overcoming temptation. My dear brothers and sisters, none of this is a, is a match for the power of God. That he's saying over here, an exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And according to the working of his mighty power. And then he goes on to say, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Such power. So let me just briefly recap that. Exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's for us who believe. Secondly, according to the power of his, or the working of his mighty power, 
according to the operating energy, operating, so it is an operation, operating energy of the manifested strength of his mind. That is to say, it is not only operating, but it is there to manifest itself in the lives of the Christians, those who believe in Christ Jesus and those who belong to the Father. Uh, Paul wants us to have this power. Paul wants us to have this power to be overcoming people. The, this is a spiritual power, but the spiritual power of God always manifests itself also, besides the spiritual realm, also in the natural and material realm. So that when we have the power of God, it manifests itself in our daily life. All over the place, should be. And just as God has manifested His power in the raising of Jesus from the dead, so He wants us to manifest His power to the glorification of the Father of glory. To the glorification of the Father of glory. Not for our own, not for our own glorification, like I said, don't steal His glory, but for the glorification of the Father of glory. Then He goes on to say that... Not only is he speaking about this incredible power that he has made available to us, but he's telling us that he has seated Jesus Christ in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he goes on to describe this power that God has made available to us in verses 21 through 23. And he says, so let me just give you a recap of it. It's far above. All principality, I'm coming, I'm coming there in just a little bit. Far above. Not just, not just above. Not just a little bit above. But it is far above. Exceedingly above is what he's saying over here. And then he goes on to say, what it is above. It is above all principality. The word principality has to do with the, the rulers of the heavenly bodies. So it speaks here specifically to the angelical, angelical uh, 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 hosts. But we also know that he also rules and is ruler, that is to say that he is power over the demonic forces as well. Right? The only reason why Satan can operate still is because God still gives him some, some leeway till the time that God decides it's over and then it will be over. This is, he is no match for God. And he says he's placed Jesus for our confidence in the power that he has placed in Jesus Christ and therefore also in us. He has placed him above all principality. He has placed him above all power, that is to say, all delegated power, he has placed Jesus above. Because remember, he has all the power, all authority. I, was, I, I talked about delegated authority is what I was trying to say. He has all authority. All authority in heaven and in earth is given to him. So if somebody is going to have authority, it is because Jesus delegated it to, to that person. But Jesus has power 
over that person or whoever that entity is that he has delegated authority to. He is far above all might that has to do with power. He is above, far above all dominion that has to say, that is to say that over all lordships that there might be, any lordship, he is above, above that. He is the Lord, right? And there are other lords with little l that maybe have a power over a group of people or whatever, but ultimately it is Jesus who the Father has put in that position that he has power over all dominion, all lordships. And he, he has power and dominion. He's far above every name that is named. Every name that is named. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. So, whatever name that you can come up with, whatever name that anyone can come up with, whatever great name that you might be able to come up with, Jesus is above that name, and he is above the person who came up with that name. <laughs> he, he is above all, everything. He is it. He is the power. He is the authority. He is the authority in the universe. The Father have, has given him that. So, uh, any name that you might be able to come up in this age, and any name that you might be able to come up in the future, Jesus Christ is seated in heaven, far above them, not just above them. And then verse 22, and he put all things, the Father put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things in the church. Um, all things are under his feet. So he has power over everything, and Everything sub is under subjection or in subjection under his feet. It is not that he's stomping on them. It is that they are in subjection. If you are not in subjection to Jesus Christ, you are being an, a disobedient uh, Christian. So, B, come under his uh, sovereignty. Come under his rulership. Come under him. Remember that Jesus is the head of the church over all things, not just some. He is over all things. That includes all things without exception. That is, all concerning our church, Walden Road Baptist Church. He is um, he's the head over all who come here. He's the head over all studies. He's the head over all ministries. He's the head over all finances. He is the head over all, over the church. Not only us as a local church, but he is the head over the church, the big C, the, all the believers that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in all the world. He is the head over them. And so let us submit to the head. Let us submit to the head. And then verse 23 says, he's speaking about the church, which is his body, the body of Christ, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let me just give you a couple more thoughts. Uh, the, the head of the church. Uh, I, I was just talking about the big C, all the believers in the world. You have different denominations. We have different groups. We have different fellowships and so on and so forth. And the problem so, so often with us is, um, is that we think that, that we have the whole enchilada, that we sometimes we think we have a corner on the market of the gospel. We have a corner on the market of the church. But that we have the whole enchilada. But, but the way I see it and my experience and what I read in the scriptures is, is that's not true. We have the whole enchilada. We have the whole thing uh, in its, in its uh, potential. But we haven't developed the, the whole potential yet. So is God has given Walden Road Baptist Church or maybe the Baptist group has given them a part of the puzzle. Beautiful part of the puzzle but nevertheless a part of the puzzle. He has given the Methodists a part of the puzzle, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, whoever they might be, the Christians. Uh, the, uh, 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 they have a, a part of the puzzle. Our problem is, my dear brothers and sisters, that we think we have the whole puzzle when we just have part. And so we are arguing with other people from other groups that we have, no, 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 we, we have the whole puzzle. No, 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 no. We have the whole puzzle. No, 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 another group says. We have the whole puzzle. But see, if we can just have some fellowship, if we can just come together some, and we speak and talk to one another, we'll discover right quick that we have just a part of the puzzle. And if we can just lay them on the table and see how they fit together. Uh, let me just give you an example. Let me just give you an example. Uh, as the, the, the choruses that we're singing in, in our church, we are a Baptist church, the choruses that we're singing, have, we, we learned primarily from the charismatics. They came up with the choruses. So, so many of, of, of the choruses that we sing, we, we, we learn from, the, from them, so many of them. Okay, so there we, we got part of the puzzle now coming our way. But maybe, just maybe, the charismatics can learn from the Baptist uh, something about maybe about evangelism, right? Um, so I'm not saying that this is a, a sure plan. I'm just giving you an, an example to give the idea about the idea of a part of the puzzle. So that then the charismatics can get better at evangelism and we get better at, 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 at singing choruses to the glory of God. Um, what, what, a, what a beautiful picture that is. So we don't have the whole puzzle. Let's get together and see what we can learn from one another. The church. And Jesus is the head of it. And, um, and, and, and that, is, that is so good. That is so good to see and so good to know. And Jesus wants to take care of his body, the church. And let's let him do that uh, in the name of Jesus. So this is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And by extension, for us at Walden Road Baptist Church. And I, I pray that you will take this prayer and maybe even memorize it. Or at least read it over 
as often as you can, not five times a day, but maybe three times a week. So to see what Paul has in mind, what God wants to do in our lives as Paul is praying for us, that uh, the Father of glory will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, uh, and so on and so forth, that, that we might... Uh, 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 that our hearts might be enlightened, that you might be in a state of enlightenment. How great is that? And that you might uh, uh, know uh, of what, what his calling, the hope of his calling is, that we might know what is the inheritance uh, 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 of God in the saints, that we might know what is the power that is made available to us as Christians uh, that has been uh, manifested in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when God the Father raised him from the dead and he placed him in heavenly places uh, and far above everything else and he is the head of the church hallelujah hallelujah hallelujah